welcome back to the GamecockScoop.com podcast, the official podcast of GamecockScoop.com on Rivals. I'm Caleb, joined by Alan. Um, we got a lot to get to today. Uh, we'll start with a little football, um, go through the last week or so for both the men and women's basketball teams, and then there's a pretty big series starting tomorrow for the baseball team, I heard. Um, <laughs> it's your last chance, I guess, of the major sports uh, to get a win against the uh, rival Clemson Tigers. Um, that's always a fun series. Uh, we'll see if the weather uh, plays nice with us. Uh, yeah, hopefully a big series starts tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. um, so as we uh, start to look at uh, some of the stuff, just a really quick reminder, uh, if you don't follow us on Instagram or wherever you don't follow us, uh, we're at Rivals Gamecock, and we're actually going to do a giveaway uh, in the next few days. Uh, to give a one-year premium membership away. Uh, and one of the requirements is that you follow us on Instagram. So uh, if you don't do that, now's a good time to do that. If you do do that, look out for that uh, giveaway in the next few days. Anyway, um, so <laughs> the big news uh, on the football front uh, is you got kind of kind of rope-a-doped. <laughs> uh, yeah. There was an ESPN headline that popped up on my phone this morning um, that was like South Carolina has third different wide receiver coach since December. I was like, well, that's technically not, true. Yeah, it is. It is. It's not the most fun way to word it, but uh, technically true. Um, and so, yeah, if you've been hiding under a rock for the last week, uh, this happened after we podcasted last week. Uh, James Coley, uh, who we were lauding as a pretty uh, good hire for Shane Beamer this offseason. Um, we talked about the pros and cons because it ultimately ran Justin's step, step into a different situation. Well, he decided he was going to join Georgia's staff uh, last Friday. Um, let's We can talk a little bit about that, but let me go ahead and lay out the whole picture. Uh, there was a pretty quick turnaround in the coaching search, and as of this morning, um, Mike Furry, Furry is how we decided it, it goes, um, from Limestone, but also uh, spent several years in the NFL as a wide receivers coach. Uh, is joining South Carolina's staff as of this morning. We'll go a little bit more further into him too, but let's start with this uh, James Coley stuff since we didn't have a, a chance to talk about it. Um, I know you, you and I were texting back and forth right after it happened, and uh, you 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 mentioned that you didn't think it was a very good look. I guess no, it's not. I mean, I don't think there's really any way around it. Um, it's not entirely South Carolina's fault. Um, the, the staff that there's an opening in Georgia that comes from, you know, Del McGee left or I think they had two openings, but either way, it's not entirely South Carolina's fault, but either way you stick your neck out to hire a guy. You have to shuffle your current staff to get that guy through the door. As in you shuffle Justin step from receivers to tight ends. Cause you want Coley coaching the receivers. And not only does James Coley not coach a season, not coach part of a season, doesn't even coach a practice in South Carolina. He's out in 43 days. We're still 20 days from spring ball as of today. Um, it's really, it's it's tough. I think the some of the tweets, some of the social media comments from the wide receivers, especially, I know Maisie O'Bennett had one pretty quickly after the news. I think that kind of speaks volume to this is, um, I don't know, what do you want to call it? A swing and a miss from Bieber? Is that fair? Like, not not the furry part, to be clear, the, the Coley aspect of it before we get to the new hire. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that there's any other way uh, to put it. Um, we talked a little bit about, I guess, the the bittersweet nature of it too, with Justin Step leaving. But we, you know, had this optimism, and 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, we will get to Mike Furry in a second. I think you made a good pivot uh, based on the circumstances and stuff, but um, not great. I, I think it deepens the uh, dislike uh, for Georgia, for uh, Kirby Smart, um, and for, uh, I guess, the rivalry between these two programs, although they don't play every year anymore for some dumb reason. Uh, SEC offices, could you please fix that? Um, yeah. Even though, <laughs> obviously... Uh, you know, uh, it's nice to not have Georgia on the schedule for one year in their current state. But uh, I mean, fuel to the fire for uh, South Carolina fans that already aren't the biggest fans of Georgia. Um, I mean, I think it's a bad reflection on James Coley, too, to be fair. Like, I, it's yeah. not it's I I think Shane Beamer went out and got the guy that he thought was best for the job. Um, and then James Coley spent 43 days here and then turned around and uh, left he deemed a better opportunity, I suppose. Um, yeah. Uh, as far as the recruiting impact, uh, it was kind of funny. Like we, we had a couple of recent visit articles on gamecockscoop.com earlier this week. And a lot of them are, one of them was a wide receiver and he was talking about how, you know, the conversation with Coley went. And I was like, well, all this part is no longer relevant. Um, I do know, I believe it was Malik Clark. I do know that uh, in the meantime, uh, Beamer reached out to him. I'm sure he reached out to other wide receiver recruits. Um, I'm sure there was uh, a little bit of a uh, gathering of communications for the wide receivers that are on campus. Um, and then, yeah, let's, I guess, let's turn the page to, to Mike Furry. Um, how do you feel about that hire given the short notice? Um, and how do you think he's going to fit in? Uh, at South Carolina and uh, as a wide receivers coach. All right. First of all, this guy's had an unbelievable football life. Like even just taking the South Carolina part of this aside, I do want to just like go through his track record for people, people who don't know. Starts as a player at Ohio State as a walk-on. He's teammates with Eddie George. The year he wins the Heisman Trophy. Uh, Orlando Pace is on that team. Some of the you know greatest NFL players ever. Like goes to Northern Iowa because he doesn't have a scholarship at Ohio State. Sets a bunch of FCS records. Uh, undrafted in the NFL, goes to the XFL, the original one. He is teammates with He Hate Me. That doesn't work out. XFL falls. Goes to the Arena Football League, sets some records. Gets uh, gets a gig in the NFL as a defensive player. He plays corner and safety for a couple years. They switch him to offense. He has a 1,000-yard season with the Lions. He was teammates with Dan Campbell, who's now everyone's favorite NFL coach. This guy is just – and that's even before you get into his coaching. Two years at uh, an NAIA school – three years coaching receivers at Marshall to Limestone then, which is a D2 school in Gaffney, South Carolina. For those who don't know, four years with the Chicago Bears, back to Limestone and now South Carolina. I just want to like grab a beer with this guy and hear some of his stories because I'm sure they've got some pretty insane ones. Uh, as for the South Carolina angle, I think going the NFL route again is probably smart. Uh, just going a guy who's in state. Is, I think it kind of feels like the anti-James Coley, right? It's, an NFL guy instead of a college guy. It's a guy who doesn't have ties to other SEC programs. It's a guy who does have ties to South Carolina. Um, it kind of just feels like they went as far in the other direction as they could after what happened. And I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing. It's just that's kind of what struck me about it. Yeah, a little bit. I guess it's like uh, you tried to date the prom queen and she dumped you. Uh, so you went to your best friend uh, that you grew up with next door or whatever and asked her to prom instead. Um, and 
I don't think that that's a bad thing. You know, like I, I, having someone that wants to be there, wants to be in the state of South Carolina, has passion uh, for the area, I think goes a long way. And then as far as the storytelling aspect that you mentioned, like I actually do think that that's quite useful uh, in recruiting if you can leverage all of that. Um, and it's relatable uh, to a lot of different um, players that, you know, maybe they're not going to, maybe they're not a five-star that's destined directly to the NFL or whatever. Um, there's still, he, he's got, he's living proof that there are a bunch of different paths. If you want to be, he knows, in he knows what it's like to be a walk-on. He was one at right. Ohio state. Right. Um, as far as the coaching stuff, I, I thought it was pretty interesting. So he, he went to the Chicago bears, like you said, and after some time at limestone and then came back to limestone and he kind of, uh, mentioned that he felt like there was uh, unfinished business coming back to Limestone and he brought them to the playoffs the last two years. So um, I don't know, as far as just like passion, uh, the ability to follow through on your goals, all those sorts of things would have impressed me in an interview room. And I assume uh, imp- impressed Shane Beamer. Obviously we don't know every details of <laughs> detail of that conversation or whatever. Um, I'm interested to see how it plays out. Uh if you draw the direct line of would I rather have Justin Stepp or whether I rather have Mike Furry, that's a tough question. Uh, if you put all the circumstances into a, a blender and uh, kind of follow the track of everything that happened, I think it's a good hire considering all those circumstances and, and a, a lot of unknowns. We'll have to see uh, from there. Yeah. I think that's probably about the right way to go about looking at this. Just with the way it all happened, with the way it put together, the fact that you're, Hiring a coach three weeks before spring ball starts, uh, like you said at the start of the show, a third at that position group in three months. I think you did pretty well, but you won't know for sure. There's definitely the recruiting at this level aspect of it that you could say that same thing applied to Sterling Lucas before he got here. Um, that will log into a degree, although he had spent two years at Arkansas. He's never coached, he's never recruited beyond D2. Um, and I think there's a fair question to be had there, but I think that. The main point you make that I think is correct is how many different hats he's worn. He's been a head coach. He's been a position coach. Uh, he's been a position coach in the NFL. He's been NAIA, D2, and uh, FBS, obviously. Um, I feel like I think there's no football scenario you could throw at this guy that he probably hasn't lived, whether that's the XFL or Arena League or D2 or whatever. Yeah, and uh, William Dean with the comment on YouTube. Hopefully, we just answered that question. So yeah, now about the wide receiver coach. But uh, yeah, just a quick reminder: if you are watching right now and want to throw a comment our way or ask a question, happy to engage. Um, as far as football notes go, I have a few more like recruiting notes and stuff. I had one more note too on this, by oh, the way. That okay, I go ahead. Yeah. I don't know if this answers your question, but it's, if you're asking about the old wide receivers coach, I thought it was very interesting. You mentioned someone who wants to be here. The contract this morning that the Board of Trustees dropped, I'm calling it the Coley Clause, which has not been in any of the other four assistant co- assistant coach contracts they've signed or approved, excuse me, this year. Um, Mike Furry said to make $425,000 a year for two years. That's pretty normal for a wide receivers coach. If he terminates it in the next 120 days, it is an $850,000 buyout, which is, uh, I mean, almost double the entire length of the contract or double his annual salary. And then it drops to a normal 350 if it's the rest of this year, 250 if it's next year. So they're uh, covering their bases. This guy's not leaving in the next four months, at least. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that's at least uh, going to get you through spring ball and 
uh, summer camp. And I thought that was interesting when I saw it. You know, Shane insisted on something like that. <laughs> no, yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, my understanding is he definitely had a passion for coaching at Limestone too. So maybe it's just a mitigating. I mean, he's he he left and went back a couple times or whatever. But now I Coley calls clause is probably the most plausible. <laughs> um, and then yeah, like I said, I'll have some more recruiting notes on GameCocksGroup.com this weekend. Um, I started to mention last weekend on the weekly recruiting wrap up, which you can find if you if you scroll our news news items a little bit. Um, there's a few late May, early June uh, recruiting weekends that are starting to set up with a bunch of official visits, just like there was last summer. Um, and some pretty big name uh, targets already on those lists. Those lists will continue to expand. Um, but that's not the next round of visits. There'll be some visits throughout March and and April as well as, as spring ball gets going. Um, some, some of those guys will come unofficially in the spring and then come again officially in the summer. But um, if you're if you're starting to look at like who are the biggest targets, I guess um, that initial list that I put up last week uh, is a good indicator. And we talked a little bit about Ryan Montgomery last week. Um, nothing really new to add there, but he will visit Georgia, Florida and South Carolina uh, throughout the spring as well as he's trying to narrow down between those three guys. Um, we've talked a lot uh, already about kind of where his mindset is on those. Um, let's talk basketball. So last night, uh, South Carolina won their second straight road game. Uh, it was a, it was a crazy um, game. Let's let's go back a little bit first, I guess. Um, went to Ole Miss, won in pretty dominating fashion against uh, a team that nearly beat you on your home floor. Um, I think the big difference in that one was just uh, if you think back to the 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 near uh, lost Ole Miss at home. One of the big factors was their guards were just knocking down everything, um, making these crazy jumpers. Uh, despite the fact that South Carolina was playing pretty good defense and um, the road trip uh, to Ole Miss played out similarly, except for that the guards weren't knocking down the shots. That was kind of the difference. Uh, and one of them got ejected for throwing an elbow at Zach Davis, too. Yeah, uh, I, I got ejected, but not uh, suspended. Not suspended which, somehow. Yeah. Which I know uh, was a little concerning uh, for those of you on social media and stuff, too. I mean, I have to agree. Like, you go back and look at the, the video, it seemed pretty clear. Actually, uh, someone from Ole Miss last night also got ejected or – a yeah. flagrant two or something for another high elbow coming through the lane. So I don't know. Maybe if you suspend a guy, uh, someone will learn a yeah. lesson. But, uh, you know, maybe not. Uh, anyway, um, but last night, let's let's get to that one because that, that was an insane game. Uh, South Carolina ends up with a 70-68 win uh, over Texas A&M. Uh, Zach Davis makes a layup with three seconds left after um, – who was it for from Ole Miss right now? I can't think. Of oh, it. was it Radford from AM who tied the game? It wasn't Radford. Uh, whatever. Uh, Wade Taylor? Matter. It was Taylor, yeah. So Wade Taylor uh, scored with like nine seconds left to tie the game after they had been going back and forth throughout the second half. And then uh, Zach Davis, of course, puts it away. Texas A&M doesn't really get off a final shot. Um, they had a uh, unfortunate uh, series of events where they kind of set up their final play and then clock snafu yeah exactly which hey that's that's their home floor so i'm sure yeah. that guy got reamed out uh, after that but, yeah um anyway uh the game was kind of kind of weird so south carolina led for the first 30 minutes of it um kind of took control early um 
but fouls stacked up against South Carolina throughout the game. And they it really kind of came to a, a peak around the 10 minute mark um, in the second half when BJ Mack picked up his third foul. Um, Zach Davis picked up his third foul and Colin Murray. CMB Murray, had four at that point. Murray Boyles picked up his fourth. Exactly. Um, and so uh, you notice that they uh, had to be a little bit more careful in defense. A&M who had been, pretty effective at driving all night um, started to get a few more open looks or uncontested looks um, through that. And they went on a 17 to one run, uh, took the lead and then it just went back and forth crazy um, from there. It was really, really entertaining game, uh, especially the last 10 minutes or so. So if you somehow missed it, just go watch the last 10 minutes. Uh, You can also read my recap on gamecockscoop.com. Let's talk bigger picture though. Or was there anything you wanted to talk about with the, with the game last night? The only thing I think it's I think it's a two way from last night and Ole Miss. Uh, Zach Davis has found the offense. I think we always knew he had defense. I think Lamont's talked about him like when NBA scouts ask him about Zach, he always mentions the defense first. But that's two games in a row. He set a new career high in scoring. He had fourteen at Ole Miss and then sixteen last night. He's being more aggressive. Um, you'd still probably like to see a little bit more of an outside shot, maybe. But if Zach Davis has the offense, I think that changes things considerably to how much you can use him and what he can do for you. That's really all I had other than that was a great game last night. No, I agree. And I, and even just from a big picture approach, I mean, we've now seen what six or seven different guys lead uh, in scoring. Although I guess Michi, Michi yeah. last night I guess scoring, that counts but... as, a, as a takeaway too. Michi Johnson, 22 points last night. It was his biggest game scoring wise in a while. But yeah, it's just amazing to me how balanced the team is. I guess um, there tends to be someone uh, to step up any given night um, it, with the exception of maybe Auburn, uh, which we've talked about that before they ran into a buzzsaw, you know, you know, put that behind you. And I think they have at this point. Um, all right, Alan, I'm going to talk about it. When else are we going to talk about it? Could South Carolina win the regular season SEC crown? Uh, we're three games, three games out uh, from the end of the season. Uh, South Carolina is currently sitting at 11 and four in the concert, uh, the concert, conference uh tennessee and alabama are both ahead of them at 12 and 3 um, but south carolina is now solely in third place after auburn lost last night you got auburn kentucky florida all the 10 and 5 all obviously still within striking distance um you're not necessarily safe for that first round by an sec tournament yet even um it's a bit of a cluster right like if it feels like any of those teams could finish in first any of those teams could finish in sixth right now yeah, all right, let's set it up that way. Um, ties still count. You get a ring, you get a banner, you are considered champions. There can be one champion, there can be six. So let's start with that. South Carolina is one game out right now. You have Tennessee and Alabama playing each other on Saturday. I know game day is going to be there. That's obviously a huge game. I think you want I, – well, I don't think. I do think you know you want Tennessee to win that game if you're South Carolina – you need, you need Tennessee and Alabama to both lose again for the regular season title, but you can take care of Tennessee yourself Wednesday when they come here. The Alabama part's the one that's out of your hands. You don't play them again. So if Alabama loses again, which they still also have to go on the road to Gainesville, uh, Bama does on, I think, Tuesday. Uh, if Alabama loses a game and South Carolina wins its last three, that's you finish tied for first at least, or maybe by yourself if you get other results. Um, can it happen? Yes, I think. We haven't even talked about it yet. Saturday is a huge, huge game. Probably the biggest game at CLA in a while um, for both ends of the spectrum with Florida coming to town. 
Florida's behind you trying to chase you for that double bye. And if you want to win the league title, obviously you pretty much need to win these last three. Um, that's an ESPN game. It's a ranked matchup. It's going to be a big one Saturday. Yeah, basically Saturday is just a huge game in general, right? You you have whatever happens with Alabama, Tennessee, which is going to affect the top of the standings, and then you have whatever happens with South Carolina and Florida, which is going to affect the top of the standings. So when we come back here next week, I think we'll know a lot more. And really, let's see, when's that uh, Tennessee game? After Wednesday, that Wednesday, right? Yeah. yeah, so if South Carolina does uh, <laughs> win on Saturday, I can guarantee we will have a podcast at by Wednesday morning, at least, because I would like to talk <laughs> before yeah. we uh, get into all of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you have three games remaining and you're still in the hunt. Did anyone think that that was going to be uh, a possibility when you were picked 14th uh, in the SEC preseason? Um, I think there's pretty much no doubt at this point that Lamont Paris is coach of the year. Um, I, I did hear the broadcast talk about maybe co-coach of the year. Um, whatever. I mean, deserving i don't think in the conference I, or nationally because conference used uh, to be unanimous like coach of the year i i suppose I you can make an argument nationally with some other guys but like yeah i can't yeah. remember who uh they said in the conference would uh be co with him maybe florida that's insane to me <laughs> uh, yeah i agree um and then yeah i mean we were talking yesterday like right now alabama who has a one game better record than you uh is projected as a three seed in the ncaa tournament uh you are projected as a six seed right now in the ncaa tournament although that hasn't been updated since last night so maybe you bump a little bit more um but it, it feels like the range of possibilities over these last three games are pretty wide right you could work your, your way up i think into that maybe three-ish seed uh conversation um but i also think you could lose the next three and uh, very quickly find yourself back in that seven, eight sort of range. Nonetheless, I think you've pretty much after these two road wins, it's kind of secured your spot in the field. Yeah. You're a tournament lock at this point. You've got five quad one wins. You've got 11 sec wins on the board. Uh, you're going to have obviously at least four more games. You're going to have three of regular season and at least one in Nashville to add to that resume. I mean, it's, you don't want to be in that 8-9 range because you're getting a one seed in the second round. I can't believe we're even talking about this, like trying to create a bracket path. But you don't want to drop to that 8-9 range just because of what the matchup could be in the second round. Seven seed, that's where you were last time you went to the Final Four. That's not ideal still because you get a two seed in the second round. But maybe your two seed is North Carolina and that gets you in Charlotte if you're a seven seed. Uh, there's so many possibilities for seed, for opponent, for location, uh, for all of it. We haven't even talked about the SEC tournament yet, but you've never won that before. And you feel like if you can get that double bye, you have as good a chance as anybody. Um, it's just a really exciting time. And these next two, I mentioned Florida, but these next two home games, really, Florida and Tennessee back-to-back, um, it's probably the biggest week for the men's team at home. And uh, Since 2017. I, yeah, I guess we have yeah. to be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no doubt about that. Um I guess what is your early projection as you're looking ahead to Saturday and, and that Florida matchup? Obviously, Florida is one of the hottest teams in the country right now. Um, to me, it's it's all about just the games that you against opponents that are as good or better than you. We've we've quoted several times the Lamont Paris mindset of, of if you're seventy percent as good as a team, he expects to win, sort of thing. Um, when when that has worked out successfully, it's whenever you've been able to play at your pace, not get sped up. Uh, and then you look at the two 
blowout losses on the season with Alabama and Auburn. And that obviously right. went the other direction. Um, do you feel like Florida could speed you up and, and you end up in a, in a game pace that you don't want? Or do you think that this trends that South Carolina could kind of control the pace the way they want to? Yeah. I think Florida is definitely going to try to do that. I think for me, the interesting thing is Florida's a better version of it. Florida's a tournament team. They're very similar to AM, especially in terms of like down low. I mean, we talked, we talked last night that AM was third in the country in offensive rebounding. Well, Florida's first. Um, they they're very good on the glass. They get a lot of their misses back. They're pretty good on the defensive glass, too, honestly. I think this is a big, big Colin Murray Boyles test, a big BJ Mack test. Um, and I think you saw last night that for all we talk about his passing and everything else, you still, I think in the big games in a tight spot, you still need Michi Johnson to score a little more. Um, you got the 22 from him last night. We didn't even mention his pass in the last play of the game either to Zach Davis. That was a great find in traffic um, with a double coming his way. But, yeah, I think you're going to need to try to slow this thing down. You're going to have to box out really, really well against a team that pretty much nobody does that well against. Um, and, yeah, you're trying to play this game about in the 60s, I think, I would think. Yeah. Yeah, not to bounce around too much, but uh, I guess we didn't talk a ton about Texas A&M. For those of you that haven't been keeping up with them this season, um, that's a good basketball team. Uh, their record doesn't reflect how good they are, really. Um, they've knocked off Kentucky, Tennessee, and Florida all this year. Um, they just also have lost a lot of games that they shouldn't. Um, and a lot of that is due to some injuries that they had. They were getting a little healthier last night. Um, and to me, they, they fit the archetype of uh florida pretty well of yeah. a lot of the teams in the on the top end of the conference where uh they had a lot of speed uh their guard play was pretty good um and they were able to penetrate on you in, in a way that i haven't seen anyone do except for alabama and auburn honestly um i thought you held up obviously much better against AM than you did alabama and auburn but um that the, the reason that you got in all that foul trouble wasn't that the refs were being uh too one-sided although the last foul on uh, CMB. Yeah, that Colin yeah, Murray was great. Was, was bad. But uh, other than that, I mean, no, Texas A&M was doing a really good job of penetrating. You were contesting shots and fouls happened when that combo uh, happens. Uh, as far as that last play with Michi, um, I thought it was really impressive that Lamont Paris trusted um, his team. Yeah, he didn't call time out. It's a good yeah, point. Go with it, right? So uh, A&M scored with nine seconds left. A lot of the time, especially with in the college game, you're calling a timeout there, drawing up your play, you know, figuring out uh, what you want to do. Um, instead, he trusted all the veteran leadership on his team, which is definitely there. Um, and Michi went right down the down, down the court. And I think a, a younger Michi, maybe even a last year Michi, forces something up there, is trying to get fouled, whatever. Um, but instead, he sees wide open Zach Davis, makes that extra pass, and it's an easy layup uh, from that from that standpoint. So, yeah, really, really impressive play. I mean, there's so many different aspects of that game last night that I think we could break down. But um, I don't know. It, it, it's a good indication, I think, of uh, the veteran bounce back that this team has had since that, you know, pretty tough loss at Auburn and then uh, the home loss to LSU. Yeah, and even within the game, I know you, there's other stuff we need to move on to, but AM went on a 17 to 1 run in the middle of the second half yesterday. The offense kind of stalled for about five, six minutes. You had a 13 point lead before that. So it, was, it wasn't like the game was out of reach or anything once AM goes on a run. But 
he hit some big shots. Uh, we haven't mentioned Talon Cooper yet, but he hit two pretty big threes in the second half. I think he had eight assists last night too. Um, you got plays from your veterans last night, all night, and then it ended up ironically being a sophomore who had the game-winning bucket there. So big noon game on Saturday at home against Florida. Um, I'm sure that the CLA is going to be rocking. And uh, I think that that's going to be a factor too, right? Um, that that yeah. place when there's an important game on the line uh, makes a makes a big impact. And I expect it to on Saturday as well. Um, let's transition and talk a little bit of women's basketball. There haven't been a ton uh, of there hasn't been a ton of news uh, since we last talked, but uh, South Carolina did clinch the regular season on Sunday the 18th, which I believe is yeah, Thursday. Since we last talked. It was the Kentucky game or the Alabama oh. game. What was that? The 21st? The leap yeah, day 20, 22nd. Yeah. So it was actually the last right. time we did a podcast. It was that night. Um, so yeah, South Carolina clinched uh, the SEC regular season. Um, we talked a little bit last week about, you know, that's not something I know that's that's something that's become typical <laughs> around here uh, in the the last decade or so, but that's not something from an historical historical perspective that comes every year. So celebrate that. Um, then yeah, South Carolina scored a hundred uh, for the sixth time this season against Kentucky on Sunday. Um, I guess my only takeaway there is uh, it's good to see the offense clicking on all cylinders again after. Uh, 66 against Tennessee, 70 against Georgia, and 72 against uh, Alabama. And and really, those Tennessee and Georgia games in particular felt like um, it could have gone either way uh, until some, some late uh, runs happened in the second half. So, I mean, good to just see them fully clicking uh, as the calendar is about to turn to March. Uh, they have another uh, game tonight at Arkansas. That's at 9 p.m. Eastern. Nice. So, those of you that want to stay up and watch them try to score hundred again. Um, and then Sunday they close out the regular season uh, against Tennessee. And that is also at noon. So, so big weekend uh, for the men and women, and obviously the baseball uh, series that we're going to get to after this. Um, any other thoughts on the women? And, and I guess did, did that huge Kentucky win tell you anything or. Uh, I, I mean, not a ton because this is not a very good Kentucky team. I think the main thing that I took from it, Dawn talked about it a little bit yesterday, uh, her availability, was they started fast. They have not done that in a while. They were down in that Tennessee game in Knoxville. They were down nine in the third quarter against Georgia. They were up at the end of the first quarter against Alabama, but they only scored 11 in the first quarter. Uh, you were up 7 nothing in less than two minutes um, in Lexington on Sunday. Forced a quick timeout. You had game control. Kentucky never had a foothold in that thing. Um, again, Kentucky's not very good. That's not even an NIT team, I don't think. But uh, energy, I guess. I think we talked about that on the show last week. This team is young. They haven't played a season this long. They're tired. Um, maybe that's contributing to some of the slow starts. Well, at least Sunday, you didn't start slow. Um, you had energy. You came out of the blocks quick. And that game was over in about four minutes. Yeah. And I think it's notable that you scored 100 points when you haven't since December. I mean, yep. you've definitely played other inferior opponents in that timeline. Uh, and you didn't score 100 against them. So, like Kentucky, that time yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, maybe that is a not that they. It's it's hard to say get right game when you're undefeated, <laughs> but 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 I don't know for lack of a better term, a little bit of a get right game um, because the um, stakes are about to get a lot higher here here in about a week. So, 
Yeah, uh, you got like you said, you got tonight at Arkansas, you got Sunday against Tennessee, then you get you get five days off after that before the SEC tournament, and then it's postseason time in Greenville next weekend. Yeah, so obviously we'll have a lot more uh, as all of that starts to shake out. Um, and if you want to stay up with us tonight, I will be covering the the women's game at 9 p.m. Eastern on GameClockScoop.com. So come check out the live thread. Uh, we Usually what happens uh, in these sorts of games is I start to do the math on uh, how they get to 100. So yeah, we can do that together. Um, all right. So there's a pretty big baseball series that's supposed yeah. to start tomorrow. Uh, like we noted at the beginning of the show, it's it's supposed to be a little bit rainy throughout the weekend and tomorrow looks the worst. Um, so we'll, we'll probably find out uh, in the next, I don't know, few hours uh, if they're going to make an early call or if they're going to try to just soldier through it. Uh, tomorrow is the, the home game. Uh, remember, this series kind of travels around. So tomorrow is the home game. Saturday is at Segra Park, which is also Columbia. Um, and then Sunday is uh, at Clemson. So um, any, I guess, initial thoughts? I know you just came from the Mark Kingston presser that was uh, talking a little bit about, about this. Sounds like we're going to have the same uh, Sunday starters as last week. Uh, both these teams have the same record at this point. Both of them have a bad loss to an inferior opponent from last weekend, um, but still ultimately won the series. Uh, yeah, what, what's your what's your take right now? I kind of I feel like maybe we said this a little bit last year to a degree, but it kind of feels Spider Man meme. You know, you're just pointing back at each other like South Carolina and Clemson. Like we know the deal. We know these teams are both pretty good. They're both ranked depending on your poll of choice, there's like five in college baseball between like 10 and 20 in the country right now. Um, neither one's played great competition yet. Neither one's been on the road yet. Um, this is going to be where you figure out for real what this team has so far. Uh, I think the Columbus people are probably saying the same thing. Um, it's so hard. It, it kind of feels like you're flying blind going into this, just not having seen either team face any remote competition at this level. But I think you feel pretty good if you're South Carolina. The pitching depths look good. Um, going with the same rotation, like you said, you're going Jones, SQ Kimball again. You, Other than that Saturday game, which kind of got away from the late innings last weekend, you pitched well again. Um, you pitched well in the midweek on Tuesday um, against Gardner-Webb. Only gave up one run in that game. I think you. it kind of is you feel better about the pitching than we thought, and this offense is still doing what we thought they would. Yeah, so um, like you said, both teams uh, have the ability to put up some pretty gaudy uh, box scores offensively. Uh, both teams have pretty solid starting pitching with like highly recruited uh, bullpens that are still, you know, haven't a lot of them haven't been tested against this level of comp competition yet. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Um, I guess my big question is, uh, and I don't, I don't know if they talked about it in the press conference at all today. Um, first of all, if, if the, for the, for those of uh, those South Carolina fans that this is the first series that you really uh, start to pay attention to baseball of the year, um, who are our proposed three starters? Yeah, or that's going to be Eli Jones on Friday, Dylan Eskew on Saturday and Roman Kimball. If you're new here, you haven't seen pitch yet, then the Notre Dame transfer who was hurt last year is going on Sunday. Okay, and so that was my my follow up question: Is how many innings do you think that they push Kimball now that the opponent is? I, I mean, assuming he's pitching well, obviously. Um, right. His first two starts, what he's gotten like two innings the first start and, and four last week. Yeah. So, um, 
four sounds kind of about right to me. Maybe if he gets out of them pretty quickly, you push it one more. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess just how do you foresee that going? So I asked Roman today, actually, the presser, if he was on a pitch count. He said he hasn't been told that. I would assume they're obviously still going to keep this close or keep this t- um, not let him go 100 pitches, anything like that. But he did say last week, coming off the mound, he threw 65 pitches Sunday against Belmont, four innings, um, only gave up one hit. That he felt good, like he felt like he'd go back out there, which I think is a good sign. Um, and I think at that point, the other angle on this too is if they don't play tomorrow, and I asked Mark this too, and he just kind of shrugged it off. She said doesn't know. If they don't play tomorrow and you only have to manage your pitching for two games this weekend, not three, you can be a little more cautious with Kimball. You'll have more bullpen options on Sunday being game two of a series and game three. Maybe you push Eli Jones to Saturday. Maybe Kimball doesn't pitch at all this weekend if that happens. Maybe it's Jones and Eskew. Maybe Kimball goes out of the bullpen. You can Obviously, you're going to have all hands on deck for Clemson. I mean, this matters more than the midweeks next week, than Longwood next weekend. This matters more than anything other than your SEC weekends, which still aren't until another two weeks. So if you only end up playing two games, I think you can kind of get creative with Kimball, which I know isn't exactly what you asked, but I think it's a factor here. Yeah, I also, even if they do play three games, I wonder if that's a rubber match uh, or if you somehow wrap up the series one way or another that's on a good point Friday, too. Saturday. That's going to make a big difference. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, I still think, arguably your best pitcher from a talent perspective. Um, he's, what, pitched six innings and has eight strike, strikeouts yeah. so far. Has given up two hits total, I think. Yep. Um, so you know he's he's got good stuff, um, and I think uh, it would be nice to be able to lean on him a little bit on Sunday. Should that be a deciding game? Um, so good. To, it sounds like at the very least you could get four or five innings out of him, and then you feel pretty good about uh, the bullpen and the way that it's been working behind him on Sunday thus far. Again, they haven't uh, faced a full. Um, weekend of, of the sort of hitters that they're going to see this weekend either. So we'll see how that bullpen looks on Sunday, but yeah, I think there's the other side of this too. I mean, Sunday right now, Clemson, uh, the kid's name is Aiden Kanak. I think is how you pronounce it. He's a freshman. Uh, he pitched very well last week. Six innings shut out against Kennesaw stage, but still, if you're starting a freshman on Sunday, if he gets nervous, if it's a rivalry game, he's never faced a lineup like this. Is Sunday a day your offense might be able to get going a little bit against Clemson? Um, does he still pitch Sunday if they don't play Friday? There's so many different possibilities just with the weather the way it is right now. But I think I'm going to say – I mean, this could go, could go back to bite me. If they play three games this weekend, South Carolina wins the series. I think you take two out of three. I think you feel a little bit better about your pitching. If you play three, that means you're playing a home game Friday to get started. I think you feel good about Eli Jones on a Friday right now and then you find a way to win one more. But also, if they only play two, I think a split's probably fair because I think these teams are pretty similar. Um, sorry if I'm putting you on the spot, but do you know if Clemson has already announced their starters for the weekend? Yes, they have. It is going to be Billy Barlow, whose numbers don't look great, but I know he also is ramping up from an injury from last year on Friday. Tristan Smith on Saturday, he pitched very well against South Carolina last year. I think it was four or five shutout innings in that Saturday game. And then the freshman, Kanak, on Sunday. Yeah, so Barlow is the the one loss of the season for Clemson was last Friday against Kennesaw State, and he pitched two innings and gave up eight hits and five yeah. runs. Um, so, you know, that's something to watch uh, for tomorrow, assuming that game does happen. Uh, you know, see how he bounces back after getting rattled so hard mm-hmm. um, in his last start. But 
I think he feels good about tomorrow, or if that first matchup, whether that's tomorrow or Saturday, being Jones and Barlow, you like your offense in that game, I think. Oh, yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, and then I guess if you're just looking at South Carolina's uh, offensive depth, um, we've talked a little bit about it already uh, throughout the season, but it's been very uh, consistent across the board. Uh, even uh, your non-power guys uh, like, a, like a Will Tippett or a Talmadge Lee Croy, um, are battling at the plate, uh, making most at bats very tough. You are, uh, I have to, I have to imagine that you're near the top of the country and in, in walks at this. You point. are eating right now. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I'm, yeah, I mean, I, I'm really interested. I think everyone, uh, obviously is very interested to see how it stacks up against another ranked opponent. Yeah. I think that's kind of the main thing here is you're trying to see how much of this translates. What can you, what can kind of take? how you respond from getting punched in the mouth. Cause he did lose a game to Belmont, but I think he still felt pretty good about winning that series the next day. What happens if there's some in-game adversity, what happens if you lose Friday or Saturday? Um, yeah, I think this is, I'm not going to call it opening day. Cause you played nine games already, you know, 55 game season and that's almost 20%, but it does kind of feel like the unofficial start of baseball season this weekend. Uh, you got one more weekend after this, where you're kind of back into that non-con weaker opponent. And then it's sec play from there on in. Yeah, so this is the first of like three or four straight very busy weekends on GameFastScoop.com. Yeah. Um, I, I I don't say that with any sort of uh, complaint. I'm I'm excited. It's, it's going to be really yeah, it's fun be good. Uh, for the next month. So uh, come check us out on GameFastScoop.com. Uh, if you're a premium subscriber, we will have live threads for every single one of these games. You can come hang out, uh, ask questions, post comments. Um, if you see we'll me at Segra Saturday, I'm, I'm told they... I'm told the press box there is not big enough for the whole media, so they do tables in the concourse. So if you're at the game at Segra, I'll probably be hanging out on the concourse and come say hi. Yeah, and why are you getting there late, Alan? Because uh, of a men's basketball game uh, Saturday <laughs> yeah, afternoon yeah. against Florida. That's pretty big one, yeah. Uh, no, I appreciate you doing the double yeah. double header there, and uh, I'll be around all day Saturday uh, for those of you that want to talk basketball or baseball as well. Um all right. In the meantime, uh, this has been the GameCockScoop.com podcast. We'll be back here next week and we'll see you.